You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bibles with you, Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And if it, it might be your first time here at church and you're, you're looking up here and you're saying, man, the pastor, I've heard he's, he's really, really well put together. Man, that pastor, he's got some suits that all of you guys are going to be jealous of. If you happen to come on December 27th, it's the day that the youth pastor gets to preach and so you don't, you don't get that good look. But come back next week, he'll be here, okay? All right, my name is Nick Gooden. I'm the student pastor here at Ridgecrest. It's great to be with you this morning. Like I said, Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And I know what you all are wondering, right? You all are wondering, tell us, we, we, Pastor Nick, we want to hear a story about the time that, that you and your wife went on vacation in 2019. You want to hear about that? I heard that you all wanted to hear about that, so I'll tell you about it, okay? You're all like, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Just play along for a little bit. Okay, you want to hear about it. So last year, my wife and I um, went out west. We flew to Seattle, and we drove all the way down the west coast. My dad's family's from Oregon, and so um, I love that part of the country. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And we got to drive all the way from Seattle down to San Francisco. And and the story I'm going to tell you this morning is uh, a story of a time in which we found ourselves at kind of a, a real touristy spot of San Francisco called Fisherman's Wharf. If you've ever been there before, it's beautiful. It's right there on the bay. It's awesome. Clam chowder, sourdough bread bowls, all that good stuff. And we happened to be walking down the sidewalk when I happened to catch eyes with a a, a guy who had kind of set up shop there in the middle of the sidewalk. And he looked at me and I looked at him. And before I knew it, like we had like a gravitational pull towards each other. And so we're just walking right at him and he's looking right at us and he's kind of reeling us in. And before I know it, he's he's telling me what what a beautiful couple that we are. And he's asking where we're from. And before I know it, I'm in this conversation with a guy that I hadn't even met. But here we are as if we're old pals. And sure enough, um, the next thing I know, he's handing me a CD. But before that, he asked me, do you like hip-hop music? To which the word yes came out of my mouth. (laughs) Disclaimer, hip-hop music may be my least favorite music genre of all the music on planet Earth, okay? But I didn't want to offend the guy, and I didn't even really know what I was saying. And so here I was saying, yes, I love hip-hop music. It's so great. He hands me a CD, and now it's in my hand. And so he's got me right where he wants me. And The next thing he brings up after telling us what a beautiful couple we are and how it's awesome that we've come to visit the Bay Area, the next thing that he brings up is, hey, for, you know, you can can have that CD regardless, but hey, for a small donation, I would just really appreciate that. I'm I'm an aspiring artist. I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, To which I knew my out. (laughs) I'm sorry, sir. Thank you for the kind offer, but I don't have any cash on me, unfortunately. And you would have thought that he knew I was going to say that. Before I know it, he pulls a credit card reader out of his pocket. He was ready for everything. It was awesome. It was terrible. I loved it. I hated it. And sure enough, um, the next thing I know, I'm pulling my wallet out and giving a stranger on the street my debit card. Men, are you thankful for your wives? Me too. Me too. 
mine made sure I knew that, hey, just so you know, before you put that in his little credit card reader, just so you know, he's going to steal our identity, just a heads up. Like, she's trying to say that without saying it to offend the guy, because here I am liking hip-hop music, buying a CD on the street. And sure enough, um, she stops me and just happens to see the corners of a couple of dollar bills I didn't realize I had. And those dollar bills got us out of the conversation, and we were on our way. Got a great CD I never listened to for two dollars. This morning in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see a, another public encounter that has, that, that's not like that one at all, okay? It is way more substantial than that. It is way more spiritual than that. We're going to look at that here. We're going to get through um, the first 10 verses of this, uh, of this chapter, and then here's a bonus for you. I hope that you're excited. We've actually got a sermonic twofer today because I'm going to kind of preach through the first 10 verses of Acts, and then we're going to look at some high points of Peter's sermon that takes place right after that. And so today, as we look at the moment and the miracle and the message of Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to see God do some pretty cool stuff, okay? Before we get going, if you're somebody who likes to be told what you're going to be told before you're told, look on the screen, our main point's there. When the miraculous takes place, repentance is the end game. When the miraculous takes place, repentance is the end game. If you're able with us this morning, will you stand as we read God's Word together? Acts chapter 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go, uh, go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Pray with me this morning. God, we're so thankful that um, you're with us this morning. Um, Lord, we know that um, at best on my own, I can offer a motivational speech, but since you are in the midst this morning, God, we know this is something so much more. You have ordained the preaching of your word to further your kingdom, and I pray that that takes place in here this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we are going to look um, first at the moment, then at the miracle, then at the message this morning here in Acts chapter 3. But before we do, um, when I take a first look at a text, I, I look at it and ask the question, is this text um, descriptive or is this text prescriptive? Now, that's not the only thing that you do when you're studying the Bible, but for me, that's a pretty good place to start. And, and I think that it's profitable for us to ask that question. And a lot of times you'll find texts that don't necessarily cleanly fit in either of those categories. This is one of those texts, okay? So we've got a historical account here written by Dr. Luke, and we also have some things that God's going to press on us today here in 2020 that we can apply to our lives from this ancient book. And so I'm excited for that today. As we jump in, let's look at the moment 
moment here in verse 1. Now, you look at verses 1 and 2, and you may see those as kind of flyover verses. Let's look at them one more time. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. We might consider those kind of flyover verses, okay? Like, get me, get me to the good stuff. Get me to the stuff that, where, where, where God's doing the miracle, you know? Don't miss what's happening here. God is sovereignly about to converge two stories into one. This is so, so cool. Watch. Peter and John, a couple of Christ followers, are making their way to the temple to pray. And that is significant, um, especially as we look at Peter and John, kind of the guys that they are. You know, these guys were fishermen, and that's about the only thing they had in common. Peter is like a, like a speak-then-think kind of guy. I might identify with him just a little bit. And John is a little more contemplative, a little more stoic, maybe a little bit more self-controlled as far as his speech goes. But here these guys are, after Jesus had allowed them to follow him in his earthly ministry, and they got to witness all of the things that he did and said and taught. They got to witness his death and his resurrection. He's ascended to be with the Father. And here they are, still following him, still united together as brothers in Christ, and they are devoted to the discipline of prayer. Here's why that's important. I think had they gotten to this beggar by the gate called Beautiful at the temple, if they were not um, spiritually in tune and aware of what was going on that day, they could have very easily just passed right on by him. But they didn't. They were ready for ministry before they showed up to church. I think that's something that we ought to consider in our own lives as well. Are we ready for ministry before we even show up to church? Now, verse 2 tells us about the beggar. He was up to his daily routine. It says that he was lame from birth and he was being carried um, and taken daily to the gate of the temple that is called beautiful to ask for alms, to beg for money um, from those who are entering the temple. He's up to his daily routine. Um, The next chapter, chapter 4, verse 22, tells us that uh, this guy's over 40 years old, so he's been doing this for a while. And sure enough, he hasn't just randomly found a place to, to, to set up shop and ask for money. He's picked a very strategic place here for the last 40 years. He's gone to the place where he knows a bunch of good Jews are going to be walking by. He knows that those Jews believe that their God is honored by gifts of generosity and acts of merit. And so he's going to give them one last time before they enter their temple a chance to be generous, a chance to please their God. And so he is strategically set up, kind of like a guy selling CDs to tourists at Fisherman's Wharf, something like that. He's there on purpose. And he's over 40 years old, and so this has been his story for a long time. This is all his life can amount to. This is what he is going to spend his forever doing. He's going to sit there. He's never taken a step in his life. He's never stood before in his life. He's going to be there, and he's going to beg people for the scraps of their mercy, the scraps of their generosity for the rest of his life. That's what his life is going to amount to on his own. But when these stories converge, God is going to change him, which is something God promises to do a whole lot of times. God changes people, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Remember, when the miraculous takes place, repentance is the end game, not healed ankles and feet, right? So let's look and see what happens. Verse 3 says this. Verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, just like he did with everybody else. But Peter didn't pass by. Verse 4 tells us that Peter directed his gaze at him. There's intentionality there, as did John, and they said, look at us. So I imagine that this beggar 
realized that he is um, low in society. I'm sure that he realized that he had nothing to give back, and so his head was down in shame, and his arms were out like this. Please give me what you have. But the Christ followers come, and their stories collide, and they direct his attention at them. And this is where God gets to work. Let's look at the miracle this morning. Look at verse 5 with me. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. A miracle took place. But you know what's awesome? I can't help but wonder if at any point during this whole exchange that, that, that Peter and John may have wondered, like, what if we've misread the situation here? What, 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 if, what, if, we, what if we really, really felt like this is what God was going to do with us here with this guy, but we, but we accidentally missed it? Like, what would happen? When I read the text, that's one of the things that I wonder. I wonder if that ever went through their brains as they're, as they're, as they're about to be used by God for, for a miracle of all things. I wonder... What if, what if we misread this whole situation? What if this is wrong? What it would have done, it would have certainly ruined Peter and John's reputation. It would have given, it would have certainly given this, this lame beggar false hope that his life was going to be different. But as I continued to think about it as I was studying for this morning, I came to the conclusion that I bet Peter and John never even considered that because they were so in tune with what the Spirit of God was doing that morning or that day. I believe that Peter and John didn't just have confidence, didn't just have faith, but they were expecting God to do exactly what took place. I wonder if our faith is in the same place that Peter and John's was. But you can imagine how strange it must have been for this beggar. Instead of hearing the, the, the familiar sound of just a few coins landing on the ground or, or landing in his hand, I, I, I wonder if it took him by surprise when he heard, oh, you're not giving me silver and gold. I'm sure his heart broke when, when, when Peter said, I, I don't have silver and gold for you, but what I do have, I give to you. Oh, what is it going to be? Socks? Thanks a lot. No, something way better than that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I'm sure that threw him for a loop. But don't lose sight of what the beggar did in response to what he was told. He tried it. He tried it. He tried to walk for the first time in his life. You know, one, one commentator was talking about how there, there, there's no, there, this was not just an injury. This was not just a disease. This didn't happen because of an accident. This guy was lame from birth. This was all he had ever known, and it was deemed incurable. Yet a couple Christ followers come around and tell him to get up. It took a tremendous amount of faith for this lame beggar to even try that. Yet he did. Yet he rose. Yet he walked. Not only did he walk, but he leaped with joy. He was excited. He couldn't believe what had happened to him. Verse 7, Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and praising God. This is a miracle. This is supernatural. There's a guy by the name of John Hudson back in 1971. He was playing a golf tournament, a professional golf tournament, in which he made two holes in one back-to-back. I think it was the 11th and 12th hole, whatever course it was. He made two holes in one back to back. For a professional golfer to make a hole in one, the odds are like 12,500 to one. To make two in a row, it rises to about 50 million to one. If you're an average golfer in here today, um, let me just read this number to you. Here's your odds. 
156,250,000 to one. That is about the same as winning the Powerball. Not very good odds to make back-to-back holes in one, but this happened, and I guarantee you that day, somebody had to have said, this is a miracle! How could this have taken place? But the reality is, friends, that when there's odds, when there's any sort of chance, that ain't a miracle. This guy who sat at the temple gate for years and years and years had no odds. He had no hope. But then God intervened on his life. Then God took over. Then God, his name, his power, allowed these ankles that had never been strong before and these feet and legs that had never been strong before to become strong instantly. And he rose by faith and walked and leaped and danced and praised God for what he had done. Remember, when the miraculous takes place, repentance is the end game. Physical healing is not the extent by which God um, wants wants to act in our world and in our midst. If it was God's plan for us to be um, physically strong, if it was God's plan for us to merely be comfortable and and healthy and rich, if that was the the extent of God's plan for us, boy, how, how, how much of a settlement that would be compared to what he actually has for us. He doesn't just want to bring about physical healing and comfort. He wants to bring about spiritual vitality. He wants to bring about new life. And he promises that he offers new life through the blood of his son, Jesus. And so because that's true, and because repentance is the end game, this story ain't over. People start to take notice. People start to take notice that there's a, there's a, there's a guy that we've seen here for years and years and years that sat right there, and look at him go. Look at him run. Look at him jump. Look at him dance. Look at him praise God. It's a miracle. It truly is a miracle. And the people start to gather to see what's going on. And if you know anything about Peter, and especially if you look at the chapter before this, you know he doesn't waste a good crowd. And so this crowd is gathering up, and sure enough, Peter sees, and he gets his preacher tie on. He puts his big boy clothes on, and he gets ready to preach to the crowd. And that's exactly what he does um, for the rest of chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at verse 11 here. It says this. This is, this is the beginning of the message. We'll talk about it. We'll kind of hit some high points of it this morning for the sake of time. Verse 11 says, While he clung to Peter and John, the lame beggar that wasn't lame anymore, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And this is how he begins his message. Men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So here's the disclaimer before he preaches the actual meat of the text, or the meat of his message rather. Here's what he says. He says, you need to know before I even begin preaching to you that you need to stop looking at us like we're magicians. We didn't do this. This is not by our power that this took place. It's not by our religiosity. It's not by us looking real spiritual that that this guy who had spent years and years and years sitting, helpless, begging, it's not by our power that he stands right next to me today. This was God. That's the part that God is responsible for, which leads us right into the first part of Peter's message here. Here's the first part of his sermon. He's going to let these guys, this this crowd know, here's the part you are responsible for. Here it is. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. 
when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy, Spe- Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Okay, crowd, you gathered. You want to hear the explanation for what's going on here. It's not by our power that this guy is running around now. Here's the part that you're responsible for. It was Jesus who did this. Now, let me remind you what you did to Jesus. Let me remind you about that. Here's what you did. You handed the Son of God over to be delivered to Pilate. Okay? That's what you did. You, handled, you, you denied him by choosing um, some, some career criminal instead of the Son of God who did no wrong. You did that. And the last one just hurts. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You did that. That's what your sin does. It killed the author of life. You all made that choice. And no, we weren't there 2,000 years ago when this took place. We weren't there. But our sin is no worse or no better than the sins of, the, of denying Christ in the flesh. When we deny Christ today, it's just as grotesque. It's just, it's just as sinful. It's just as messy as it was back then. And I have a feeling that had we lived 2,000 years ago instead of now, we would have found ourselves guilty of these same accusations. We would have denied him too. We would have chose Barabbas over Jesus. We would have cheered and hollered and yelled, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We would have done that. And Peter doesn't just say this because of hearsay. Listen to what he says at the very end of those accusations, part one of his sermon. I'm sure the people were really, really encouraged. And then he says, here's how I know. Here's how I know this is what you did. John and I, (laughs) we were eyewitnesses to it all. We saw you deny Christ. We saw you choose Barabbas. We heard you yell, crucify him, crucify him. We were there. This isn't just something we heard about. This is something that we witnessed. Y'all are guilty. Y'all are guilty. But I love that there's a second part to this sermon that Peter preaches. The second part is, here's what you do about that. Because we know what God's done about it. He sent his son Jesus to redeem us from our sins. But here's what you do about it. God earned for you something you couldn't earn for yourself, and that's righteousness in his name. That's healing spiritually in his name. Here's an example. This guy was healed physically. He was also healed spiritually. He believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. That's that's the part that, that God is responsible for accomplishing. Now, crowd, here is your responsibility. Verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Here it is. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter recognizes that this is a widely Jewish audience that he's talking to, and so he's going to go ahead and say it in a way that they can understand. Your prophets, even your law, points to a couple of things. It points to your need to be saved from your sins. It also points to God's plan to bring about salvation to the world. Prophet after prophet after prophet prophesied about a guy who was going to come and redeem the world by shedding his own blood. That's Jesus. He fits the bill. He fits it to a T. 
You can read all those Old Testament prophecies and you can see Jesus through and through and through. Not only that, he, he, he even takes them back to their own scriptures here. He takes them back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. He, he, he shows them that, that your prophet Moses, he even said this. He said that that man that you denied and crucified was the savior of the world. That was him. And Moses said, you need to listen to that guy. When this prophet comes about, Moses writes, you need to listen to him and do what he says. Here's a couple of things that that prophet named Jesus said while he did ministry on earth. Jesus said, you'll know this one, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He also said this, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the command from Jesus to you and me, repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus' message was. That's what that prophecy being fulfilled looks like. Repent and believe. This message is clear. From the very, very beginning, God's plan was to redeem us through his son, Jesus. I want to take you back up to verse 16 for just a second. Here's the testimony of that formerly lame beggar. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. God used Peter and John to offer a physical example of what God is capable of spiritually. The miracle of salvation. As our band gets ready to come up, um, I'm going to offer kind of a time of a response here. I want to give you some, some options here as far as application goes. And, and just think through these with me, um, and, and maybe God will speak to you through them. First thing I want you to see here um, is, is, is an encouragement from God's Word to not miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Look at how Peter and John handled themselves during the moment. They didn't freak out, and before they know it, they're holding things they don't want and getting out their credit card for somebody to steal their identity. No, no. These guys were ready for ministry that day. These guys were prayed up. These guys were united in faith. These guys were ready to encounter that lame beggar and be used by God in a mighty way. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment to be used by God. Don't miss the moment to be restored by God. So our time of response is built exactly for that this morning. We're going to give you time this morning before you even leave this room to consider the things that you've heard and ask God for help. What do I need to change? What kind of awareness throughout the week do I need to have to be ministry ready in the same way that Peter and John were? What can I do? How can I depend on you more to be ready for the moment? Because I have a feeling that every single time we leave this place and and go to our workplaces and to our families and, and we go to places for recreational purposes, whatever, I think there's a whole bunch of opportunities that pass right on by us because we've got the spiritual blinders on and we're not ready to do ministry like Peter and John were. Don't miss the moment. Next thing, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. That beggar had to test out those ankles and test out that command. See what happened. See if anything happened. Believe that something happened. That beggar had to think through all of those things and he chose to to trust. He chose to obey and he chose to stand. Rise up and walk. It's a great time of year um, to be thinking about changes that you want to make in your life as as New Year's Day is approaching. Um, I would challenge you not to to settle for for the regular like, oh, I'm going to get in shape, like I'm going to stop eating cookies or whatever it is. Don't settle for that one. I dare you to, to, to make a spiritual, not a resolution, but a commitment this morning for your new year. 
What might it look like for you? If you don't like the way that your Bible reading went in 2020, I dare you to rise up and walk and dust that thing off and put it where you can't possibly miss it and get a friend or a spouse or somebody to hold you accountable. You don't like the way that, 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 that your parenting relationship went with your kids this year? Man, I dare you, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Do something about it. Get some help. You don't like the way that your marriage is? I dare you to rise up and walk. Get yourself some help in the name of Jesus. And guess what? You're in a place where that can happen. The Ridgecrest Baptist Church is not just here to preach a bunch of sermons to you on Sundays. We're here to walk with you through life. We're here to help you. That leads me to my last point. Tell the story. Tell the story. I believe that, that Springfield has grown really, really sleepy in how we live our faith out in the midst. I wonder how many people are waiting to be told, here is something that happened in modern day that God has done. I wonder how many people are waiting to hear your testimony of how God has rescued you from darkness into marvelous light. How will they know unless you tell them? Make a commitment this morning to spend 2021 testifying out in public to the goodness of God. Last thing I want you to see this morning is this. Peter didn't just stand six feet away, socially distant, and say, rise up and walk. The text tells us that he extended his right hand. Peter, the rock on which the church would be built, the church offered help. And I want you to hear that this morning. The church offers help. There's going to be pastors down here during our time of response. If you want to talk with one of us or pray with one of us or, or, or just process something with us, that's what we're here for. I tell our students every time I have the opportunity to preach to them on Wednesday nights that the only way they can mess this up, this time of invitation, this time of response, the only way you mess it up is if you sense that God's doing something in your heart and you choose to do nothing about it. Maybe your rise up and walk is literal this morning. The first walk you need to take is right down to these altars. Don't miss the moment. Let's respond as God leads. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.